Well, hello and welcome to The Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and I'm the co-founder of The Union. This is episode 28 and our first episode of 2021. Man, I know uh, for most of us, 2020 was a very challenging, at least the last third to two thirds of 2020 was pretty challenging. Um, And I think one thing that we can all be hopeful for is that God's goodness and his faithfulness will continue to remain and push through uh, in 2021. And so I hope that that encourages you. I know um, we don't know what the future has in store, but we do know that God can be trusted fully, fully. Today, Bonnie and I are so excited. We recently sat down, just before Christmas, we sat down with some friends, uh, Brendan and Jacqueline Widener, and uh, they were able to open up and share their story about how Brendan walked out of pornography, walked out of addiction, and really the key principles and strategy that they implemented uh, so that he can say with a clear conscience, he is still living in freedom. And so it was such an encouraging conversation, and I know uh, it'll encourage you as well. I, uh, I want to let you know, we have some upcoming news, some important stuff coming up in 2020. So I will be back at the end just to share some, uh, some key information with you. But until then, Check out the podcast and we'll see you at the end. You're listening to the Union Podcast. The Union is a movement dedicated to discovering God's design for sexuality, His hope for restoration, and the power of our destiny through Jesus. Please enjoy today's podcast. Awesome. Well, Brendan and Jacqueline, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We're happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having us. So we have some fellow Fraser Valley-ites, some, some fellow people from the Southern BC. How are you guys coping with the transition into wintertime right now? You know, the, this past week was super sunny. Yeah. That was really helpful. Totally. And um, just recording this episode pre-Christmas, um, lights are everywhere. Yes, it's true. I think I'm going to keep some of our interior little twinkle lights up a little bit longer. I just love that warm glow. And so I feel like we're actually doing quite well moving into, um, yeah, moving into the winter. I think this has been one of our better transitions, to be honest. Yeah, totally. I know I felt like a new human being where there's just that three or four days where it's like nice, bright and clear weather. And it's like, Oh, I miss you so much. Yeah. Totally. What is that fiery ball in the sky? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Seriously. So we're so excited to um, really sit down and kind of unpack your guys' story, Brendan, your your story of walking through uh, porn addiction and into freedom and really how you guys navigated that within your marriage and just all the dynamics of that. But one of the things we love to do is just a random question. So this is completely off the cuff, non-scripted. Uh, hopefully lighthearted question here. So what is the one condiment that if it was socially uh, uh, acceptable, you guys would put on everything you eat? Go. What's the one thing, Brendan? Okay, I've got one. Dill pickles. Dill pickles? Yeah. It's not a condiment. It's a con- I can make it a condiment. Yeah. <laughs> a condiment is a sauce. Okay. You know what? Then easily, sa- easily sour cream. Sour cream. I, yeah. I eat things just to have the, they're like a vessel for sour cream. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Are you a big pierogi fan? 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. What's your go to pierogi f- flavor? Oh, homemade. Just, just like homemade. Just homemade potato with a bit of sauteed onion. The more like butter and um, sour cream, if you can also get some like farm style bacon in there or farmer sausage. Amazing. Amazing. With a pickle on the side. With a pickle on the side, of course. Pickle has to make has to make an appearance. Brandon, what's your go-to? I go I'm a big fad eater, so I'll like get onto like a wave or something. So I don't have one right now, though I tend to be making a lot of guacamole. Actually, I'll go with guacamole. Yes. I I, I can get that onto almost anything that's savory. So totally. So how long have you guys been married? We will be married 15 years this summer. 15 years. Come on. Come on. So how did, how did you guys meet? Do you want to share? We both 
were involved in an organization called Young Life, the one right. I work for now, when we were in high school. So the first ever event, I got really involved, like kind of late grade 11, going into like basically grade 11 summer, going to grade 12. And so I started hosting some of the events because I was one of the key grade 12 kids involved. Mm-hmm. And so the first ever thing that Jacqueline ever went to with Young Life was a dance party at my house. So there was a lot oh. of kids there that night. So I don't even know if we actually met but that was technically, and then we were in the same community for a season and then got to know each other better as we both uh, served as leaders in the ministry and would see each oh, other at conferences because we were in different cities. So she was in Victoria where I grew up and oh, I okay. moved to Lower Mainland for university. So yeah, that was a key kind of setup. We served at a camp for a few weeks together, became friends. And then in 2005, we... We're at the same camp property for Young Life and uh, was at a staff conference. And that's where the magic happened. We were hanging out one wintry uh, week at this beautiful Rockridge property. And anyways, yes. the rest was history after that. Yeah, come on. Nothing like Rockridge to light hearts ablaze. Bringing people together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I've seen pictures of Rockridge campus. It's amazing. It looks so beautiful. So you guys said that you'd been working with Young Life and you guys are both in, in a certain role within ministry, but how did you guys individually come to Christ and was faith kind of part of your upbringing? Was faith, were you kind of raised in a Christian family or, or what did that look like for you? Uh, for me, I was raised in a really strong Christian family and, um, and I did have a really significant faith of my own as a young kid. I think a big role um, was played even for just going to summer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Bible camp and I, I felt as a young kid, like I was drawn to ministry as a vocation. And um, so when actually when young life came into my life, when I was in grade 10, I loved it because it was a, a great way to share um, the good news of Jesus with my friends from school. And yeah. so for me, that just really, really fit really well. Uh, and Brendan's story is a little bit different. Is uh, I grew up with a little bit of faith exposure, mainly through my grandparents. So they would take us to church if we stayed at their place for a weekend, you know, went to a couple of Christian camps as a young kid. But in my main family, faith wasn't really a main element anyway. And so my parents split. And then when I hit high school, my friends became my whole world. And partied really hard, ended up smoking pot a ton, and then did a bit of a bold thing my grade 11 summer. I moved out of my dad's house to move in with my best friend, which we weren't telling anyone the real truth, but was actually a grow up. And so uh, I was pretty, pretty sideways in many regards. And my dad had actually just come to faith or back to faith, depending on how you look at it, uh, the summer prior. So he actually did a huge song and dance sales pitch to get me to go to Young Life Camp. So Malibu was the property then, uh, my grade 11 summer. So while at the grow up and I actually brought pot in my bags, I couldn't imagine a week apart from uh, my lifestyle. So then at at camp that week, it was a real eye-opener to be able to have fun in a way where I didn't feel actually guilty deep down. and And actually, those are the first times I really heard the story of who Jesus was. Like, I didn't like, I just remember hitting people with was like, did you know he walked on water? And some of the other kids were like, yeah, we've heard some of these stories before, but I was like, this is all new. Like, this is amazing. Oh, I love it. But um, I definitely, yeah, I got to the point by the end of the week where I just remember thinking very clearly, like, if there's a God who became a human being, that's exactly how he should act. And this other really strong thought on top of it was, I think I've been looking for this my whole life. And I just didn't know it. So anyways, moved, uh, well, moved into relation with Christ took his amazing offer, but then I also moved back to my dad's house and then had a very, very different grade 12 year compared to grade 11 hosting and life events and diving into religion and faith and all those things. That's amazing. I love what you said there about having like that. What drew you was the, or this ability to have fun without guilt attached. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so interesting is that is a beautiful part of life with Christ is joy without guilt attached. Yeah. You know, that's, that's cool. So Brandon, for those who wouldn't be familiar with like the organization Young Life, tell us, because obviously you're so much involved as to your life right now, as far as ministry perspective, uh, tell us about the mission and vision of Young Life. Yeah, the heartbeat is basically what I got to experience in high school, along with what Jacqueline got to experience. That's a pretty good uh, range of what uh, it serves to exist, is to help teenagers 
experience Jesus, to learn about them. But we really want to be designed in a way that kids, uh, wherever they're at, faith-wise, cultural background, anything, um, could feel comfortable coming into one of our spaces, hanging out, being accepted. And so we do a lot to build relationship with kids in the community. The idea that we have since our our founder in the 40s was to go to teenagers rather than expect them to come to us. So yeah, we volunteer, we coach, we uh, get to know kids. We do a lot of, you know, fast food hangouts and, you know, Starbucks and movies and all that kind of stuff just to build relationships on their turf. And then as we build those relationships, we invite kids into spaces where we're hanging out. We do something called club that's a weekly gathering. And that's where the person Jesus just gets shared about kind of in 10 minute installments. Mm-hmm. And then camp ends up being a huge part of what we do. So yeah, we really have a heartbeat for teenagers of all kinds, and especially those who've never known the story and show up at 17 like me and be like, what? He did what? And yeah. so that's kind of our honor to share with kids, regardless of how they're going to respond to the message. Yeah. I think I said this to you before, Brennan, but like every young life leader that I've ever met, they're just like worth their weight in gold. They're just amazing, mm-hmm. amazing people. So uh, I got a huge respect for young life leaders and young life ministry. So so awesome. Now, Jacqueline, you also have a podcast as well. Tell us about your podcast and the vision behind that. Yeah, uh, my podcast is called Ready to Thrive. And I like to say it's helping women move from surviving to thriving with practical tips and a whole lot of Jesus. There you go. And um, a lot of the episodes are interviews that I just have with really interesting women who are sharing about their life. Um, And some are just solo shows where it could be something very practical like decluttering your house or something way deeper, like decluttering your soul. And so I love to cover a range from really practical to really deep. Yeah. Sometimes cleaning, cleaning up the house is a lot easier than the soul. <laughs> and sometimes tougher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually I like to do them at the same time. I think there is something about doing something wow. with our hands that really does yeah. something on a spiritual level. That's so true. So good. Well, we're excited to jump into it today. And, um, you know, Brennan, I've been so just refreshed by your transparency and your vulnerability in your story. As, as we kind of jump into it today, um, you know, you've been very open and honest about the effects of porn in your life and that process that you walked through uh, with addiction and then walking into freedom. So I'd love just to create a, an opportunity here for, for you just to kind of share your story uh, when it came to those, those dynamics. Yeah, um, I can give kind of an overview and then we can kind of go from there. For me, um, growing up as you know, a regular teenager, pre-internet were most of my high school years. And so um, definitely struggled with lust and masturbation through high school. And for just the time we lived, it was more of a magazine, um, you know, would be the medium where you'd have some kind of whatever temptation or exposure. And, um, another key incident for me, as I remember, you know, being a nosy kid, uh, digging through my dad's drawers and finding, um, like a porn VHS tape. And so I think those were some of the pieces for me. Uh, all my friends essentially weren't Christians, but even at that time, it wasn't a, which has changed in teenage culture. It wasn't acceptable in any ways to talk about it or mention it. It was, it was shameful and I felt shame about it. And so as I got into faith though, it kind of upped the ante in, in both senses. Like it gave me a stronger desire to break free from it, but then it actually in some ways made the shame more intense because I just felt like this is so wrong now. Like I have a, I have a bigger why to not be doing this. And so through my young adult years, kind of like 19, 20, 21, I found that even as my faith grew stronger, it was this, I don't know, this big shadow hanging over me. Like you'd be, I was serving as a volunteer leader at that time. And you just sometimes like you walk into a room where you're like, you know, the person doing the talk or hanging out with teenagers and in the back of your mind, you're like, you know what you did yesterday. Like it's just playing over and over. And so that was really challenging to navigate. Uh, I started to meet uh, Christian friends who were struggling the same as me. And I remember a guys group where we, we were like, this is it. We're going to beat it. Like, let's figure out how to like break free. And, you know, early ideas were things like, you know, a, a penalty jar, if you broke down or whatever. And I remember we all got, I think over a month of the running head start. We're like, this is it. Like, it's amazing. And then the $10 bill started to flow as guys, you know, stumbled. And next thing you know, we're like, what do we do with this jar of money? That's kind of, you know, from a dirty source. So and then guys are uh, asking, Hey, who can break a (laughs) hundred? It's like, it's not, not a good sign. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that was kind of my journey. You know, I had a couple good mentors. Like my young life leader was amazingly transparent and was uh, walking a lot more freedom than I was. And I just felt like in some ways that was unreachable. And then, you know, along comes the internet somewhere along there. I'm 19 or 20 and, you know, fueled the fire uh, with readily accessible content, unfortunately. And so, yeah, I would say a key turning point for me was, you know, I had some two month gaps where I'd be free and I'd start to feel a little better. And then, um, I would slip up again and it probably wasn't until meeting Jacqueline, which that was for me, 25, almost 26, where I got this running head start boost, where it was like, I'm so excited to meet the woman of my dreams and it could we could tell pretty quickly we were going to likely get married. And so it kind of gave me like almost, I don't know, eight months of just like, this isn't even a temptation. So in my mind, it was like, Oh, that's the key. What I always thought you just meet the woman in your dreams and this problem will just flutter away and you'll be fine. Uh, but then, you know, and I was able to share with her then this past struggle, but um, it was a lot easier to share. Cause it's like, that was so six months ago. Like, don't worry. That won't be more until that fateful day where I don't know if we were engaged yet. We might've been, or right around the corner of that, um, having to confide in her that I'd slipped up and fallen back in and had a bad weekend or whatever it was. And just to see her, I mean, I, it's no exaggeration to say, I think she cried for well over an hour. And so for me, that was like, how would I ever do this? The person I love, and this should be all the motivation any human will ever need to not make this mistake again. But I think what I learned along my journey was just how external motivation can be really helpful and you can put guardrails and things around. But in the, the day, there's a kind of an internal root behind this whole thing. And if you don't get to the bottom of it, you'll never be free. And so even that painful crying conversation gave me, you know, a month ago and then I fell again. And then that became a tricky thing for us to navigate in marriage because there was a huge problem. It was like, I want transparency and honesty in our relationship. But I also don't know if this is going to work for you to be my accountability partner because you just have so much at stake in my ups and downs where it's a lot easier to have another guy who's, you know, marriage isn't riding on whether I pass or fail. So, yeah, I would say that was a huge part of the journey and then um, reached a point where I learned more about my um, my triggers and my cues, just trying to be self-reflective. So I just realized, oh, every time I get emotionally low, when I go too hard for too long without enough breaks or not enough downtime. Um, so kind of like exhausted, yeah, emotionally low and then realizing, okay, those are key pieces. And then I also, the other little thing I figured out was if I see anything, it is the beginning of the end. Like if I see something on a TV show that I didn't even know was going to have it or a movie or something, or, you know, you're searching on some website and something pops up. If I like, hesitate for a second or lean in to look a little bit it's like it's a i don't know 10 day countdown until i fall and so i think for me it was realizing some of those practical aspects along with the roots of things and so then seven years ago i think it was 2013 uh, around the fall yeah so just just over seven years ago there was a, a couple incidents i had where particularly one in the summer i'd been the camp speaker at Rockridge, what a privilege. My first time doing it, like kind of on the big stage, being the person that walks kids through the gospel three weeks in a row. And I mean, it's a real mountaintop, but you go hard. And I came home and I remember being exhausted, tired, emotionally low from the big highs. And now you're done and crashing and burning and, and falling back into porn and masturbation. And I just remember feeling like at that point, I was the worst human on the planet, like just the biggest hypocrite that I would be the one telling kids about life to the full in Christ and then not living it at all, like within, you know, a couple of days of getting home. And so something in that weight, and then another little uh, slip up that fall, maybe around September or so just created, I don't know what to explain it. Maybe the same reason we ever get like over the hump with something in our finances or, I don't know, going to the gym or something. There was just something in me. It was like, okay, I feel a different intensity while I'm learning all these, tr these strategies and practical um, tools. And so at that point on September, October was the last time. So uh, seven years ago, looking at pornography, masturbating, any of those acts, but um, it was a year later to the date almost that I still couldn't believe I was walking around with all the negative thoughts and accusations and condemnation of being terrible and evil and disgusting, perverted, gross. And then I just remember thinking like, I haven't even done anything for a year. 
when is the point where you get um, the feeling of freedom? So that might be a good place to stop because that's a lot of my story, but there's more about breaking past that. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that, man. Yeah. I appreciate, appreciate the transparency. And I'm just even imagining, you know, listeners, men and women who are going to feel like, okay, so just because I fail again, doesn't mean that the whole thing's over, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a really good, you know, I like what you're saying there of learning from learning from the struggle, learning yourself, learning the deeper lessons. And I think of the sanctifying power of Jesus, right? That when we come to him, it doesn't mean we're necessary. We're not cleaned up right away, but it is a process. And as we get closer to him, then the the intensity um, of his, like his love and his sanctifying power starts to work in us. So that's so cool. I'd love to go back to the point where you said when you were just engaged and you had to share with Jacqueline about like, um, okay, I slipped up. You know, Jacqueline, you know, um, Brendan mentioned there that you, you cried, you know, for over an hour. Can you tell me a little bit about, tell us, um, just like what was, what was hard about it? What were the emotions that you were facing and the, and even maybe even some of the lies that were building in your mind around that? I mean, I think for me, I, um, was, I felt pretty blindsided, I would say. Um. I think I was a little bit naive in terms of what went on with guys that that would even be, or with people, you know what I mean? That that was even a struggle that had never been something that had been part of my story or struggle. And so I think I was surprised I was blindsided, but then I, I really did feel like I had been cheated on. And that was a crazy thing where I was like, okay, I understand this wasn't a, actual person but I feel all of these things like I feel betrayed I feel and um so I think it was the blindsided I think then you also have all these questions that run through your mind of like will it always be this way is this the end of our marriage um I think probably in that season as well I had become aware of someone I really looked up to who I knew had had affairs and I was somebody I'd known for a really long time. And I was like, wow, totally blindsided by that thinking anything is possible in almost the worst way. And so I think for me, in many ways, it was that, um, that hurt, that broken trust, and even just feeling like, oh, I've, do I know you? Like all of those things kind of wrapped into one, um, really insecure. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I remember from that season. I think that's significant. And I think um, I'm sure there'd be a lot of wives or girlfriends or women who would resonate with that sense of, um, I know it's not a person, but I'm still, I think it boils down to the sense of, I feel like um, chose someone else was chosen over me essentially. Right. And so then I think of the words of Jesus where he would say, you know, if anyone has lust in his heart towards a woman, like that is adultery. Right. So it kind of affirms that feeling of what women feel. And it's almost like Jesus saying like, okay, guys, like we need to take this seriously. And of course, women too, we need to take it seriously. But um, yeah, I think just from your perspective. Well, and I think one of the challenges too is really feeling almost helpless to, to know, like he was saying, I couldn't be his accountability person, um, but you're trying to figure out how do I help this person? And so I think that also is one of the challenges. Um, And, you know, it's because you're reacting to your own emotions, it's easy to then become very accusatory or add to that shame. And I think one of the things that does keep people stuck is just the fear of sharing with your spouse those things, because the fear is if I tell them our marriage could be over. Like, I don't know if it's going to be able to last through this. And so um, I think that's one of the scary things about really coming clean. But when we don't come clean about whatever the thing is, um, there will always be this invisible barrier in our marriage. Like there's all, there will always be this thing between us, whatever that may be on either side, if we are not fully honest with each other. Um, but the hard thing is the longer those things go, um, the bigger that wall of mistrust goes in it. And and actually the, I think the more in bondage you become personally, like I think it really does um, take a toll on your own soul and your own ability to live freely and lightly. Yeah. 
That's so significant. What what did that process begin to look like? Like you're saying that walls now building, and it's evident that there there is a wall. So what did that process look like to begin to take down, you know, that wall brick by brick? And and I know Brendan, you talked too. Like I, I I thought it was important for people to notice that you mentioned the emotional connection. Because I think sometimes when it comes to sexual temptation, we just think it's a spiritual matter and mm-hmm. spiritual warfare plays into it, you know, or, or yeah, or just even physical desires. And like, that's, that's a hundred percent real, but like there is emotional connections behind this too. So what did that, that process look like, you know, for you guys as individuals to walk through those emotions, but what did that look like for you guys as a married couple to begin to take down those, that wall, um, as a couple? I think we just started having more regular, honest conversations. And so even though I couldn't be, it wasn't helpful for me to check in or nag him, but to actually sit down. And the hard thing is you can go on a date and you can just talk about the weather, what's happening in sport. You know, you can talk about all these light things and you know, in the back of your mind, sometimes like if I bring up this topic, this is going to change the course of this whole night, potentially and I'm going to be crying in a restaurant or something. But I think being brave to sometimes ask the hard questions or have those hard conversations, we just started doing more of that, like really honest conversations. And that actually does help build trust because even if sometimes the answers aren't what you want, you're, you're being honest and that is going to help build trust. I think a big part, it's funny that this ties into one of our most practical conflicts we had, I don't know, uh, for a lot of our early years, first five, seven years, as we we had lots of conflicts over lots of areas, but in some ways, I feel like we probably had the most, at least in terms of like frequency, over household chores. Like who's doing what? When's it getting done? And I mean, I came in as... uh, a classic bachelor with like, who'd been living with my brother for a lot of years and we did not keep a clean house. And Jacqueline was just way more skilled and had a vision of what our home should look like. And I was just happy to use our house for like teenagers and young adults and volunteers and just, you know, and then like, we'll clean it later or something. Um, so there's so, <laughs> there so many conversations. That's like a great action plan. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. or> something. <laughs> That's where it fell on my priority list. Yeah. You know, when there's nothing else to do, we'll clean. So, um, but one of the conversations we learned to have, and I think in some ways it was, there's a universal principle, but it was also me learning how to ask for what I needed, which he was asking for me to, for me to be a teammate in our home was a very reasonable request, even if it was for me. What was key though, is I need to be respected as an individual and not treated as a child or an employee. So I can't be told like, Hey, I need you to do blank. And you said you would do it. And what's going on? Like these, these on the fly check-ins, nags and reminders, this is devaluing me as a person and my own volition, my own internal motivation and desire is just being snuffed day after day. And so it's understandable. It's a natural reaction. I do it as a parent, even though I don't like the concept to my kids sometimes, but just that, so trying to learn as we grew in our marriage for me to learn what I needed and, but not say to her, which is what it can sound like. You can never talk to me about my poor household performance. Um, that wouldn't be fair, but to say, can I ask that when we talk about it, it looks like this and it's when matters and how matters, and then we'll, we'll improve the what. So let's sit down and have a conversation, not while we're on the fly and let's have it to be, if you share with me why it's so important that I start to be a more committed teammate in this regard and I can process that it will change something inside me that will live differently. But if you just throw quick pointers and reminders, every part of me wants to rebel. So just kind of understanding that aspect. Oh, the counter will is very strong in some, (laughs) I get it. I get it, man, for sure. So, you know, I think with, when there is a kind of a revealing, you know, of a form of adultery, you know, porn addiction or anything like that, um, trust is violated. Now, how did you guys specifically go to work on, on trust? What did that look like to rebuild that? Because I'm I'm thankful that trust can be rebuilt. And if anybody's listening, you need to know trust can be Mm -hmm. rebuilt. What was, what did you guys specifically and, um, and strategically do to work on trust within your marriage again? I think in some ways it, it, 
it was those conversations, those honest conversations and time. Um, and then I think also forgiveness. I think that's a big part of it. And, and all of those things in some ways are daily um, and in some ways are a process. And so I don't think that, um, I don't think it's something that's really quick. But over time, and even over the years where, like Brendan said, that was seven years ago, I would have these times where my brain would go, do you trust him? Is this, and do you need to ask this question? And, and I felt like I could rest and stand on the, I do trust him. He's actually, he's proving himself to be trustworthy, not only in this area, but, you know, it's interesting, um, even that he mentioned seven years ago, because I think over the course of seven years for both of us, in some ways, we both learned to grow up in many areas of our lives. And it's funny because I think we're so um, deeply um, connected individuals in terms of all the different parts of ourselves that when we are, I think of it as kind of a, you can have a good snowball or a bad snowball. And so you can have the good snowball, it's moving in the one direction um, or domino where lots of things are kind of going well, right? Like we're focusing on eating well, on moving our bodies, on tightening our finances. It kind of builds the momentum in lots of areas in our life. Whereas if we're going down that negative path, we're probably doing things we feel sinful and ashamed about. Therefore, we're choosing more um, laziness in other areas. So I think for us, the, some of the trust just came with recognizing we were, um, we were kind of beginning to make choices that really lined up with who we really wanted to be, both being in the word and just other things that, um, again, it's not like a one time and we have developed this trust, but we're just kind of making choices individually and really connecting together regularly. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Um, no, I, I once heard somebody say that like growth is defined by putting more and more distance in between your failures. And, um, you know, Brennan, for you, like, cause I think sometimes, you know, I think a lot of people feel exactly how you felt at one season. It's like, well, what's the point? Can I ever really escape this? What, what was it for you? And what was the truth that you discovered that just kind of put you at rest in knowing that, Hey, I'm growing, I'm progressing and freedom is, is real. Yeah, I think it was definitely a series of stages. Like it, it definitely felt different. I don't know if it was the one year marker, I think incrementally along the way. And I mean, because of my high school lifestyle I shared about earlier, I had experience with quitting other things. Like I used to smoke pot and I quit. And even prior to that, I was just like a cigarette smoker. And, and so I knew parts of what that can feel like, both, especially when something's both physical and then emotional and then kind of habitual thrown in there. You can feel like, okay, like I'd, I'd have dreams about smoking when I, after I quit. Um, and so, so I knew there could be this sort of almost like your brain is playing catch up. So I could draw on a few of those experiences, but I remember thinking kind of this both end, like, I can't believe I've gone, you know, whatever, six months, eight months, 10 months, 12 months without doing it. Like, and even looking at anything, like, it's not like I've like half-heartedly done it or got lucky or something. So that was so encouraging compared combined with my mind was the same gutter. It always had been, except I wasn't giving ground to a single thought, but yet they were still running wild. So there was no, I was never inviting a thought. I was never partnering with it. I was never being like, oh, that'd be fun to think about. Literally every thought I was oftentimes physically shaking my head, hoping that maybe that would like fling the thought out, you know, like off to leave me alone. Um, and so I think I had this like, almost this, you know, dichotomous, like incredible encouragement with incredible discouragement paired together because I just didn't know what it was going to be like on the other side of being free from the, the actual actions of it and then experiencing the benefits. So I think I was in this real torn place and almost kind of like, what gives God? Like when, what is the number of months that equals mental freedom? 
Like, is there a relationship? Is it like, oh, just wait till 20 months. That's the key. Then the human body I designed will. So, you know, you're just wrestling with it. And I still remember sharing, like I would get given seminar options at leadership retreats and things like that. And I would say like, Hey, like, here's me 14 months free. Like, it's awesome. It's possible. Even though I still know inside, I was still going through so much, but I had a, a series of events that became really significant and it, and it happened to fall largely within a time frame where our ministry, um, at least in my experience in all the years as a teenager, volunteer staff person, hadn't really had a lot of direct, uh, interaction with spiritual warfare. But then, um, we had a season where it just felt like, it was like visible, tangible, and we were dealing with things and felt pretty under-equipped um, and was, you know, leaning on pastors and elders and, um, you know, s- veteran staff, I respect to just trying to be like, who has the wisdom? And so as we finally got people who could say, you know, here's a biblical approach to praying against over evil, that happened to coincide very well with this season of having the mental barrage that I was still experiencing. So anyways, as it turned out on a retreat with a, hour of solitude i went off into the woods and had this sense as i was walking and i was giving jesus a blank check on it was to say whatever you want like i'm whatever you have for me in this this hour and i just remember there was some point in the walk where jesus basically was like today's the day we break you out of jail of your sexual like bondage of your thought world even though you're physically out of it and so that sounded amazing. I was all in on that plan. And so it looked like in this physical spot, we were in this remote place in the mountains on these like walking paths that I knew really well from years of going there and found this little spot that was like almost like an alcove of trees with a little grass patch. And in it was these giant weeds, like whatever the normal big dandelion weeds that we get in our lawns out here. Um, it was like those like times five or 10. Like they were just ridiculous. And I, I felt like there was a really clear cut message from Jesus. Like those are like symbolically representative of what the enemy has built here is like these base camps of negative sexual thoughts and condemning thoughts for your past mistakes. And so it was just this idea of him leading me through a process of praying. And it started with confession, confession. And it started actually with, I had a journal and a pen and he had me do this thing with these like two pages side by side. One was me actually writing out all the things I heard about myself over and over and over again. Like I'm disgusting. I'm perverted. I'm an adulterer. Um, I should be disqualified from ministry, disqualified as a camp speaker, like all those sorts of things um, just compiled. And then after getting them all out, um, written down uh, beside it, I felt led to write, what are the truths that Jesus says about me from his word that I hear the Holy Spirit speak over me? Like I'm forgiven. I am made whole. I'm made clean. I'm a new creation. You know, um, he's the one that qualifies me. He's the one who sanctified me. And so by seeing those lists, I, I would say, and, and probably in my life, it was like, I think that's the first time I took anything as a thought and just tried to put it outside my body besides, you know, what you do in a conversation with someone. And so to see it, and then I felt led uh, with a little bit of knowledge from um, our spiritual warfare journey and praying for others to pray out loud with authority against the evil that I felt like was really just holding ground. And so by the time that was all said and done, it was pretty intensive and exhaustive and um, even powerful is when I walked out of that alcove, I remember the feeling of coming out and like almost like this feeling of like, could could I actually be free? Like I'm nervous to step. And as I stepped, I could feel like, no, no, it's actually like, like it feels like the normal background buzz of gross thinking was just gone. And then they're in this weird spot where like, do I try and let a thought in just so I know if my mind actually is free or not? But then what if I wreck it? So you're like, I don't know. It's funny the mental gymnastics you'll do in a moment like that. And so, and then I realized all of a sudden um, something could come in and I was able to quickly kind of bat it away. And even as I walked back down the path, I saw a lone giant weed and I was like, Oh, like there they are. Like they're going to get me outside of this jail, but really this clear message from Jesus, like I broke you out of the jail. They, the enemy no longer lives encamped in here. Now you're reset to the regular broken world, which is there's still an enemy lobbing, you know, negative thoughts from the outside, but it was the game changer for me between thoughts originating on the inside where the battle's basically lost before you've even begun to fight 
versus now it's coming from the outside and you have a fighting chance. Um, yeah. So that was, there's a couple other experiences that were, that built on top of that, but that was, if, if getting physical freedom was a game changer, that was, that was next level where I was like, Oh, wait a minute. You might be able to walk in freedom on this planet before heaven was the feeling I had walking away from. That's amazing. That's amazing. What is, what is the process like, or like, what is your, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to force the question too much to go a certain direction, but like, I think sometimes you get a, a streak going, you know what I mean? And I think sometimes that's our biggest enemy is we build this pedestal of, you know, I'm, I'm a year or I'm six months or I'm three weeks. And then there's, you, you start to even, maybe you don't fully give in to temptation, but you're starting to feel this pull to go back there. And sometimes the condemnation can be almost as strong as if you did do something, just even being tempted by something, you know, is it, it can almost be so strong. What does that process look like or that conversation look like between the two of you? Um, you know, when, when that happens, if that does happen. I can, I don't know that it's happened. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, it is fair to say. Like you're saying in a situation where we make a mistake or whatever, like how do you recover from that again? Yeah, maybe maybe what I'm saying is just like, because a, a quote was actually coming to mind. Maybe I'll do it this way. A, a, a quote was coming to mind by Martin Luther where he says like, um, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair, right? And I think when... I just know my conversations with young men or just men in general. Um, and, and I'm sure it's the same in some ways with women too, but like we can almost feel just as condemned for a, a bird flying over your head, a proverbial bird flying over your head. And it's almost like, Oh, I'm having these, th- these thoughts. I must've done something to let this in instead of it just being a reality that like we have desires, we live in a fallen world yet we can still overcome. But like, what is, what is that process like for you guys as a couple to expose maybe the thought that's, you know, if there is spiritual warfare going on or if there is desires, if there is things that are starting to surface in some way, shape or form, how do you guys um, within your marriage support one another and create an opportunity for honest communication without like totally just assuming that somebody's doing something they're not telling you about? Yeah. I think if I can, I'll start and you can answer. Um, I think for me, it became a significant realization around that same season and it's individual based, but I think then it creates your level of like expectation and how you operate in any relationship, especially marriage was up until that point. I don't know if I had the clarity and I would say sitting across, you know, the Starbucks table from lots of different people, ministry or otherwise, it's confirmed at least on like a one-to-one question basis that not every thought we have is ours. And I would say that's probably not accepted philosophy by our world. So it's not like, it's not your default. It's not the, you know, there's no point in grade seven where they get everyone and we're like, Hey, by the way, you're going to have some thoughts. Some of them are yeah. there like, is a spiritual world. <laughs> yeah. So, but I would say that that's such a profound and it, it's scary to people initially, and I understand why, but it's such a profound realization. And I think there's a couple of really great things about that. And one great thing about that is that you could actually distinguish, especially if you have the Holy Spirit, that some of the thoughts you would have wouldn't be from you. They'd actually be from the Holy Spirit. They're, for lack of a term, they're better than you. But if you, if you just say that was probably just me, you just like downgrade it and miss the opportunity to have God whisper and speak. So I think that's a huge missed opportunity. But then the other piece is the fact that there is an enemy who, you know, exists to kill, steal, and destroy, who is hunting us down and chasing after us. And he's lobbing thoughts. You know, that's where we get that classic passage about taking every thought captive. And so those thoughts are from the enemy. And so therefore, if you hear anything, whether it's, um, you know, condemnation or sexual sin related, or even, you know, related to, um, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, the, the default position you have is I, I think that I'm no longer worth living. So I'm a terrible person because this is what I'm thinking about myself. And so I actually found it so freeing to realize that's not my thought. Like, and I can, I can evaluate, I can sift a thought like example often used is to be like, you know, there's maybe even more so than 
ever because we're doing whole 30. But for me, a really attractive idea is eating a Chicago style deep dish pizza, like and eating the whole thing until I hurt. And that's not the enemy. That's I, I love that. And I know that's not good. Like that's a desire I can partner with and want genuinely. Whereas I found once I had this lens, I was like, yeah, there's all sorts of thoughts that I've never even had an attachment to an interest in. There's no part of me. And some of them have been not even the sexual category. Like I've shared um, with Jacqueline and other places before, like I would carry our, our, one of our newborns in the house and I'd hear a thought in the back of my head was like, throw her down the stairs. And I, and I remember like, I would like hold her tighter and almost like want to put her down to protect her from me. It's like, that's not a desire. I have it. Like, I'm not mad at this precious baby. Like, so that's where for me realizing that there's an enemy, he, he's, he's in operation. He's working around the clock with his terrible team to do things through our thoughts. Then it means I don't have to own every thought. I definitely have to own if I grab it and attach to it and desire it and think about it and let myself go there mentally. And I definitely become a great more of a sifter and sorter of thoughts to realize who's this coming from. But so then I think operating for that way for myself and maybe Jacqueline would say something similar, then I don't hold her accountable for the bad original ideas. I would hold her accountable uh, with grace, but I would hold her accountable for when she partners with them, when she um, contemplates them, when she like temptation knocks at the door and she lets it in. I'd have way more like hard conversation with her about that part than hearing a terrible thought out of that field. And I would say I've had a very similar process for myself as well when it comes to, for me, it's more thoughts of fear and anxiety. And so one thing that I have really learned that Brendan actually shared earlier about his time where he was in that alcove was just um, really getting things out of our head. Um, And so even if it is something I'm starting to think about Brendan, like there was a point a few months ago where I remember starting to feel that frustrated him. I can't remember what it was. And so I just told him, I said, Hey, I'm just going to let you know, I'm starting to feel frustrated about this. And I'm not saying it to um, throw any kind of condemnation on him, but because I actually would rather get it out of my mouth than allow it to grow in my head. And so for me, a lot of um, the freedom that I walk in is being able to get things out of my head through, through my mouth. And then often when you, sometimes that's enough because you can speak something out loud and realize, Oh, that's actually that that is a lie. That's not actually true. Um, and then it just kind of really releases a lot of the the power it has where it's stuck inside our mind. It's kind of allowed to grow and run wild. And so that's been a big part is, is getting kind of those lies, I would say out of our head, but also then filling ourselves up with the truth. So speaking the truth, allowing us to speak truth over each other and, um, really be in the truth. So reading the Bible um, does help sort of renew our minds so that we are walking um, both individually. I would say that has been the biggest key to our strong marriage has been that we have both dealt with our own, what I would say, heart junk. And so Brennan's process began, you know, about seven years ago or so where he was doing a lot of this on his own. For me, it was only four years ago. So he, I would say he was actually really walking from a place of freedom. And I was very much stuck in my own place of depression and anxiety uh, and fear. And so it was the process of both of us, I would say, becoming free that then allows us to really have a strong relationship. Doesn't mean we don't argue. Doesn't mean we don't have conflict come up, but we're very quick. I think now realizing that um, I don't want anything to grow between us. So we are much quicker to um, address things and and tackle things head on, have those hard conversations because we know we can have them to the end and we'll be closer. We have a sense of truth and honesty um, that we don't want any, we don't want anything to be, we don't want any little walls between us. That's amazing. Um, I guess a, a question I'd have for you is if you were sitting across the table with somebody who was in your your position back when you're walking through this, but they're, they're there right now. What would be the practical things that you would want to communicate to them um, that really led to sustainable freedom? Because I think, you know, like 
I think over the years, as I've just been observing within Christian culture and stuff, like we get the purity bands and the purity t-shirts and, you know, like we come up with these things that like are great, like, you know, and that in a sense that they're causing the, a sense of awareness to, to lust and awareness to, to sexual temptation, but they're really just external and they don't, they don't last, which is the, the hard part. Um, what would you want to say are like the key practicalities that led to a sustainable victory in your life? Well, I would say in whatever, whatever the thing is bringing it out into the light. I think bringing it out into the light is key. And so even though my struggles, my story are, are different things than Brendan, the freedom process was the same in that it was bringing the, the deep, like I call just the deep soul sins or, or secret things that your brain says, keep it there because you're safer. You're safer if no one knows. You're safer if you keep it tucked away. Um, and it feels so vulnerable. And it's not like I'm going to jump on social media and say, hey guys, here are all my struggles. Right? You're finding that person because I think too, even if you're not in a marriage, you find that safe, trusted friend. And you've said, you've said to them, Hey, I, I need to have a conversation with you. It's going to be all about me just so you know. And I'm going to share stuff with you that I'm going to ask you not to share with other people, but I'm going to get things out and I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And like just creating that space. I think that process is a very, very hard process, but is going to bring you so much freedom in whatever the thing is holding you back. So I would say that is a big thing. And then I would say, I imagine sitting across from a couple, a young couple like ourselves, and just saying like, this is not the end of your story. I know this is a very, very difficult bump in the way. Um, And again, that practicing forgiveness and grace, that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not this instant, like, I feel like I forgive you, but this is this choice that the feelings will follow. The trust will follow. This is going to be something later on that you'll say, wow, I can't. Like we can very freely talk about this because this isn't, you know, I have to like mentally go back and go, oh yeah, that's how I felt. Cause it's, those feelings are not there at all anymore. It's, it's this place of freedom that we want to share about because we know that's possible for people. And I know so many people are actually stuck and maybe there are women listening who are saying, I'm afraid to ask my husband these questions because I don't want to know the answer. And I understand that. So again, it's the time and the place and um, being prepared that you might receive that, that hard answer, that you're already prepared with grace and forgiveness and saying, let's, what does it look like to walk through this together? Not with ultimatums, not with you have to measure up in this way. Um, so I think just like grace upon grace and you know, even counseling, um, you know, having a third party in there, those things can be really helpful in many cases. What I, what I'm hearing you say throughout this conversation is the sense of, um, in the place of shame or fear is that you guys have grown in love, right? Like, you know, you're saying, I don't want anything to come between us. And that's where we, um, I don't know. I, I think sometimes in the early years of marriage, it's so much about our own like self-sustaining how you make me feel. And it has to be transformed into this thing of, I want good for you. And I want us to, you know, be together. And like what Jesus said of what God has brought together, let no one separate, right? Like this determination, I won't let anything mm-hmm. divide us, you know, no secret, no shame, no, no sin. Right. Well, I also think we used to operate from what I would call a take, take place, whether that was about the calendar, like you've, you've gone out for one night, I get to go out for one night. So kind of this like take, take. Now I feel like for the most part, we operate from a give, give, like, I want to give you this time. I want to give you this space. I want to give you, um, as a, so it's really allowing yourself to give the other person what they need. As opposed to like, well, you got to sleep in one morning. I want to sleep, you know, we can, we can move back to that take, take, but that's actually not going to help us have that thriving relationship. Wow. That's so good. Brennan, what was it for you in like, in your personal walk that led to the sustainable victory, like the practicalities? I think it was, um, there's a few practical pieces that 
got established and continued. And I can talk about those. And I think the other piece was once I got a taste for mental freedom, I was, I was relentless to it. I was like, how much more mental freedom could I get? I want the maximum. Like, and I don't believe in the health and wealth prosperity gospel, but in terms of the maximum joy and maximum peace on earth through the Holy Spirit, I feel like, yeah, let's go after all that God has for us in the here and now. Um, and so sometimes I reference this as like the, the weighted test or whatever, but is like the pillow test. Like when you put your head down the pillow, you turn the light off and some people can't cause they're, it's already challenging. Um, what's it like being left alone with your thoughts? And for a lot of us, we drown it out with noise, music, TV shows, whatever. And so I think being able to believe there's a place that Jesus would lead us to where he would dismantle everything that the enemy's done to set up camp. And so that's what was really big for me. And I think a lot of that can be a really scary topic. If someone's already struggling with um, porn addiction or other kinds of uh, challenges in their sex life. And then you'd be like, Oh, and all you need to do is just become an expert in spiritual warfare. It's a very easy top. Like, it's like, people like, uh, no, like, that's sorry. So what I would say for me is there was a couple more key incidents. One involved uh, sharing with someone, uh, an older uh, spiritual father type figure sharing with him about some of the baggage I felt like spiritually been passed down to me from my dad with that, even that example I gave of the VHS tape. And so, and some of his own challenges in um, that led to my parents' divorce. And so sharing that with him, I felt really like strongly prodded by the Holy spirit at a coffee. And I was like, could you just pray for me to be set free from whatever it is? And part of me is like, why is that? the thing, but there's a biblical precedent for, um, you know, to the third and fourth generation, um, the kids for the sins of the parents. And so it's a spiritual reality and it's worth praying through if you can get, and, and even just the sure act of having someone else pray for you when you're in the midst of something you can get free from and telling them what you think you're carrying, uh, similar to what Jacqueline was sharing earlier. And so I think that was a big piece. And another piece I would say, and then I'll, I'll maybe circle to practical to end was I had a, and I would kind of label them these three incidents, but, and so, and, and the incident that happened after I um, had that uh, older male pray for me was I was free from the spiritual prison, but I would go to Starbucks or whatever coffee shop for half my work life meeting with people. And it honestly didn't matter their age. It didn't matter their gender. It didn't matter what the conversation was about. Like, and often it was about Jesus life ministry and in the midst of it, I would hear like out of left field, like imagine you and them doing this sexually blah. Like it would just be this gross. And I remember being like, Oh my gosh, could they read my thoughts? Cause if so, this is the worst. I'm like, I just say that out loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope not. I'm like, can they tell? Cause they were in the middle of, and usually my main move would either be to head shake to hope it would kick it out or to like stare at the coffee mug for three seconds to like orientate and then go back. But I started being like, Jesus, is there any way? rid of that from happening because it's like this freedom is but now i want this gone um and so it was that uh older male that was like i go to and just wait for the whole 90 minutes and be like it never came like oh my gosh um so to have those kind of freedoms and i had a similar kind of thing in a different way um one time on a prayer retreat where i felt like jesus wanted me to go through all of the sexual partners i had and i didn't have any actual sexual partners before marriage, but I had high school girlfriends and things that we'd gone past kissing. And so to actually like name them and name the the acts, the whatever foreplay type acts by name and to say them out loud. And I was just alone uh, in a room praying, but um, to say them out loud, like confess them, confess the names and ask Jesus to break off those bonds that were still there. Um, and some of those things, again, people might feel like, I don't, that's very overwhelming to consider doing. And there's a little bit around praying authoritatively that I learned how to like, actually not just ask Jesus to do something, but to pray it, but in his name, like to tell evil to leave. But those became these pieces where you just feel like, what else can I get free from? I want to get free from the, the thought I have of dropping my newborn daughter. Like, let's, let's go, let's get rid of it all. And so I would say, backing it up for someone just to say, you don't have to worry about all that. Definitely do involve people in your story and get people who might know a little bit about that praying for you. That's a winner. The key step is this. When you go to pray on your own, 
assuming someone has an active faith of some kind, pray out loud. Do not just pray inside. There is, I can build a whole story as to why that's, but just do it and trust. If God spoke things into creation by a spoken word and Jesus did it to calm the storms, trust that your words have power. So to confess out loud, even when it's for the hundred thousandth time and to say the acts by name. So what we'll often do is pray in our mind very casually. Hey, Jesus. Yeah, we all know about last night. That was bad, right? Very vague, very like, oh, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And that is not effective for freedom. What's effective for freedom is confessing out loud and saying specifically what you did, what you looked at, whatever. I mean, you don't have to catalog every whatever website or something, but just say like porn, pornography, uh, masturbation. Those words have power just even saying them out loud. They're uncomfortable to say there's a reason. So for people to learn the habit, yes, even after like I prayed it yesterday and I have to pray it again today, pray out loud, confess out loud confess to another person. And then I would just say practically start to learn your own triggers and cues, pay attention to your body emotionally. You work seven days in a row, which isn't great. And that's generally going to be a thing that's going to cause you to, Oh, first you started emotional eating and then, Oh, you started going to bed at one in the morning and you first, you were just finding random Netflix binges and then you just veered over. So I would say paying attention to those things and where necessary trade a, a lesser evil. It would be way better to eat a full bag of chips every night and put on 20 extra pounds. That will not wreck your marriage. It'll do some other things, but pornography will. So to even realize while I'm getting off of this, if I need an emotional outlet, I'll try and find better ones like reading and going for a walk and the gym and stuff. But in the meanwhile, realizing even video games would be better than pornography. Lots of things like for three hours would be better than so I think just realizing what are the practical things, um, and I found it was a key for me, but I would say this for others, um, just have a no nude images policy. Like if the show has it, you just, and you're in a theater or whatever, you just like, if you have to close your eyes and plug your ears, that image will plant a seed and just grow in a way you don't want. So anyways, that's a lot, but that's usually like my, like, if I get, you know, whatever, 30 minutes with a guy who's struggling with it or something, I'm like, here's what I'm going to give you as your starter kit of what helped me. Yeah. That's so good, man. Yeah. Honestly, I think, I think it was John Mark Comer who talked about how we're integrated beings that, and I think depending on kind of what your, your faith experience is, you, you, you kind of lean to like one of these triune realities that we're made in the image of God with that either like you're the hyper spiritual or you're just heady. And then there's heart, you know, heart issues too, where people just, it's all about what they feel, but like, we're all three of those things. We are a spiritual being. We all, we do have a body or we are a body biblically and, you know, and we do have emotions. We do have personality. We do have those very unique traits. I think that was so, so important. And so um, I think so strategic for a lot of us to identify those things and give, give place and value to all of those, all those parts. So thank you so much for this today, guys. This has just been honestly such a great conversation. And I know uh, everybody on the other side is um, listening to this is going to benefit from it. So thank you so much for your vulnerability, transparency, and and being being willing to have the hard conversations. So we're uh, we're thankful for that. Yeah. yeah, for those of you, you know, if you at the beginning, Jacqueline's saying there about her podcast, Ready to Thrive, and she talks a lot. I, I think for women, it's going to be really key as for you to learn how to identify fear and anxiety, and like she said, some of that soul junk you know, listening her podcast is going to be a resource for you. Um, yeah, definitely to help you get control over those areas too. So, and we will definitely put a link to it in the show notes, Brandon and Jacqueline. Thank you so much again. Well, thank you for checking out episode 28 of the Union Podcast today. Uh, Bonnie and I are super excited to announce that coming up here in early February of 2021, we are going to be launching an e-course called The Journey Home. And we've developed this e-course to help people uh, discover, again, God's beautiful design for sexuality um, and, uh, and the effects that come when we do cross those boundaries. But one of the amazing things is that God has a plan, a journey home for us, a pathway back to a place of protection, a place of um, clarity of mind, clarity of heart, and freedom from our past experiences. Just like coming out of the cold on a cold wintry day into a nice warm cabin is what it's like to step out 
of um, the consequences of our decisions and into the redemption that's in Jesus. And so we are super excited uh, to announce that. Keep your eyes uh, open and aware. Um, We'll be uh, putting that up on social media for sure and making you all aware when that launches. Again, thank you so much for joining us here on the Union Podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope your life was impacted greatly. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, visit our website, theunionmovement.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram with the handle at theunionmovement.com.